11. It's on page 1209 of the Pew Bible. going to look at um, the whole idea of what faith is and the certainty of faith. Um, Apparently I said something a while ago which sounds like a bit of a contradiction because I said that uh, the opposite of faith is not doubt, the opposite of faith is certainty. And we're going to be looking at the certainty of faith, so that does seem like a kind of contradiction. We just sang there about we walk by faith and not by sight, and yet in Hebrews 11... It talks about being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, and yet as you read through Hebrews 11, you'll find again and again, they saw. By faith, Abraham saw. By faith, Moses saw. So again, that appears like a contradiction. And the answer to that is very simple in both cases. Firstly, the opposite of doubt is not faith. Sorry, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty if it's certainty in yourself. Real faith is how we see and how we understand and how we know God. And I want us to to look at that and to see this very comprehensive definition of faith. We'll go through it. Hebrews 11, verses 1 to 2. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith deals with things that are future and things that are unseen. How then can you be certain? Well, there are certain ways of looking at this. First of all, I have to ask you if you're sure about the present and what you see. It's horrible, the earthquake in Japan. I've never been in an earthquake, but I'm told by people who have that the thing that really freaks you out more than anything else is the ground is sure, the ground is certain, and it just disappears. Buildings start collapsing, the whole thing starts shaking. What was absolutely solid, what was absolutely certain, seems gone. And I know that some of you are here today, and there are things in your life that, as far as you are concerned, are solid and they are certain. But they will not stand. They will not stand. People who say, I I don't go by faith, I've got to have empirical evidence, I've got to know, I have to know. Let me tell you that there is virtually nothing in your life that you know for absolute certainty that can never be shaken. How do we then get certainty? The King James Version says faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's not wishful thinking. There is a substance that is in it. What we hope for becomes real through faith. The reality of what we hope for is shown in our experience when we live by faith in God. And what that means is simply this. That sometimes we trust and we do things. And as we trust and we do things... We see and we understand. There are far too many people, and and maybe some of you are like this, you think, I'll believe in God, I'll believe in Jesus when I get absolute proof, when I get absolute evidence. And yet the Bible says, actually as you hear about Jesus, and as you believe in him, the proof, if you like, and the evidence comes. It's a bit like someone saying, please describe to me what it is and I'll get it all worked out and then I'll believe. Well, here's a philosophical test for you, practical test. 
Describe the taste of coffee. How do you describe coffee to somebody who's never tasted coffee? Now, I've not yet met anyone who's able to do that. What do you have to do? You just, you have to taste it. Coffee tastes like coffee. You, you, you can't describe the taste of coffee to someone. Well, if you can, that's a, uh, I've tried that test in universities all over Britain, and no one's still come up with one yet. So, for me, when I look at this and look at faith, it's as we step out in faith, not a blind faith, but a faith that sees Christ, a faith that trusts in God's word, then it, we, the, we receive the proof, if you like. We see by faith. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. It's the means of proving or testing invisible realities such as the existence of God, his faithfulness to his word, and his control over our world and its affairs. In other words, if you are waiting for God to absolutely prove to you so that you can be satisfied, that, that's not faith, and it's also incredible arrogance because you, are, you think that you are in the position to judge. Faith looks to the future. This is what we are told the ancients were commended for, that they looked to the future. So faith is certainty. It's not wishful thinking. It's not blind hope. It is certainty based on the promises of God. Then, faith, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The definition of faith, we're saying faith is understanding. It's certainty and it's understanding. It's by faith that we understand that the universe was made at God's command. I think there the reason that many people give to say they don't believe in God is because they believe that science has disproved God. They, of course, cannot prove this. They believe it because they've been told it. They say that we believe in God because we do not understand. It's the God of the gaps. You don't know how it happened, so you say God did it. But now science has come along and done away with the need for God, and if you're a scientist, you understand. Some Christians respond to this by attempting to deal with the science. So we have long discussions about evolution and carbon dating and so on. It's not necessarily wrong, but uh, you in Somerville in this congregation once wrote me a, a paper which I thought was fascinating, fantastic actually, where he asked this question, is this the right approach to scrutinize the material universe in order to establish where it has come from and where it is going, to use this method to find out whether or not that which is written in the Bible is true? And Ewan's right. You can't use science to prove God, and you can't use science to disprove God. You just keep going back to the beginning from where you start. And all of us start with some kind of faith. Now, this text gives us the Christian understanding. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. We don't know how it was done. We know that God made the universe out of nothing. <coughs> If you don't believe that, your alternative is to believe that the universe made itself out of nothing, which really takes some believing, or that matter was eternal. But I think by faith we understand. By faith we know. In the Bible it says, in the beginning, God created. There was a beginning. Big Bang Theory now tells us that there was a beginning. The universe was made by God and is still dependent on Him. It is in Him that we live, move, and have our being. If God is in control of nature and history, past and present, every generation of believers can trust his promises about the future, no matter what it may cost them. So faith 
understands. Faith is something that is certainty and it's something that understands. And all of us here have some kind of faith from which we begin. Usually when I I argue with my atheist friends or my agnostic friends and they say, go on, prove it, prove it, prove it. They ask for proof. The big problem that they have is they have faith that they can understand. They have faith that they'll be able to work out the proof. They have faith that God can be tested empirically. But that faith doesn't make sense. I have faith in God. I have faith in Jesus Christ. I have faith in his word. And I'm able to say that having walked many years with that faith, it works. Because that's the next part. Verses 4 to 7. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, who was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham lived in a tent because he had faith that God was building a city. He didn't see it. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show they were looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. His his son, he offered his son as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Look at that. Faith is not opposite to reason. Because of his faith, Abraham reasoned. And because he reasoned, his faith was increased. That's the divine circle. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. See, faith works. It's more than intellectual assent. God-honoring faith takes God's at his word and lives expectantly and obediently for him in the presence. It's the attitude that we have. Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, not because of the material that he used, but because of the attitude he came with. Faith enables us to come to God. 
certain of what we have not seen, trusting his promises for the future. Noah heard the word about judgment and acted. Abraham was called to go, and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Faith realizes that life is a pilgrimage, not the end. Abraham's confidence was in the word of God. Faith conquers kingdoms, administers justice, gains what is promised. Real faith in God works. And you please must understand the difference between a faith that says, an inverted commas faith that says, I hope everything's going to be okay, and I believe in God, and that everything will work out in the end. That's an incredibly passive faith that is not the faith of the Bible. But the faith of the Bible says, I believe God, I believe his word, and so I'm going to do what he says. He tells me to go, I will go, even if I don't know where I'm going. He tells me to sacrifice, I will sacrifice, even though I can't see how I'm going to be provided for. Because I reason that God wouldn't tell me to do something without a reason. Faith works. And we're talking about Finley being brought up in the faith of Jesus Christ. And that's a faith that is intensely practical for John and Sonia because he is being brought up believing that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the Word is real, that God is a promise-keeping God, and we live our lives based on his promise, even though we do not have everything that he has promised us at this moment in time. There is a downside to this, though. Verses 23 to 31. Faith brings persecution. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Fantastic phrase. He saw him who is invisible. Incredible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. You see what's being said here? That Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God because he had faith. And what do we do as Christians? We're pathetic. Oh, things aren't going well. Oh, things are going really badly. Oh, I think I ought to give up my faith because God hasn't blessed me in this. By faith, you choose to be identified with the people of God even though you know you are going to be persecuted. By faith, you choose the more difficult route. You don't go with the crowd. You don't go along with what everyone else is saying. It's a choice you make not because you're a masochist, not because you want to to torture yourself, not because you want to be some kind of hero. You do it because you believe God, because you believe what God has said. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. 
and so on. It's really incredible what they were able to do. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better erection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Faith brings persecution. And we, we moan about living in a society which is hostile to Christianity, as it largely is and increasingly so. What do you expect? You live by faith. You walk into the enemy territory, not with a gun. You go in with faith. We don't use the weapons of this world. We go by faith. And it means that we suffer. (coughs) People who give up their faith because they suffer haven't got the faith of the Bible. Because the faith of the Bible is something that enables you to walk into the midst of that. But that isn't the end of it. Because in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, faith is Christocentric. It's surrounded, it's centered around Christ. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know Rahab, the prostitute, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, were told they didn't receive what had been promised. But we do. We are surrounded by these examples of faith. And isn't it interesting as well? People say, well, the Old Testament's by work, the New Testament's by faith. No, it's not. These guys were only able to do their works because they had faith. Isn't it interesting just how they didn't receive, but we have? Why? Because Moses saw Christ, for some degree, verse 26, he'd regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. But I don't believe that Moses knew about Jesus coming to this earth and suffering on the cross and everything that's involved. And we do. We see that. We grasp that. We understand even in terms of the creation, in terms of Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20, that all the creation is is (coughs) Christ-centered. In Christ, we live and move and have our being. We look at Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of faith. It's interesting, the the NIV says the author and perfecter of our faith. They're trying to make sense of it, but they're wrong, because our is not in the original language. Christ is the author and perfecter of faith. People like Tony Blair and others come and say, well, it doesn't matter almost what faith you have. As long as you have faith, we are people of faith. No, unless you have a faith of whom Christ is... The author and the perfecter, your faith is worthless and your faith is useless and your faith is probably dangerous. Jesus is the author and perfecter of faith. He's the pioneer and the leader in the race. He's the one we follow. The the images of a stadium where the runners are running round and the witnesses are the people who've already finished the race. 
But Jesus is the marker. Jesus is the leader. He is the one whom we are following. He achieved faith's ultimate goal by dying on the cross so that we could be brought to God. He has fulfilled God's promises and he enables us to see God. Why do you believe? Because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, says Paul to Timothy, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I, I know those words in the AV because uh, I used to sing that as a chorus. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Let me tell you this. People who say, and if you're one of these people, you say, well, I know where my house is. I know that the ground is sure. I know that tomorrow is coming. I know that I have a job. I know that my wife loves me. I know that my kids love me. I know that I'm going to be doing this next week. I'm planning to be doing this next year. All these things I know, but your religion is just uncertain and unknowing, unknowable. I want to turn that completely around and say, everything that you've said you know, you don't know. You actually do not know. You hope it's going to be the case. You base your life upon the fact that it is the case. But your house could be there and there could be an earthquake. Your health could be there and there could be cancer. The love of those around you could be there and they could end up hating you. You don't know. You're basing your life on stuff that you do not know. And the irony is that the very thing that you say is kind of vague and wishy-washy and faith and so on. It may be in lots and lots of cases, but not when it comes to Jesus Christ. In my life, I experience different degrees of certitude. But the more I go on, the more certain I am of this. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. I don't have faith in the church. I don't have faith in myself. I don't have faith in my family. I don't have faith in the government. I I don't have faith in humankind. I don't have faith that human beings are basically good. I can't base my life absolutely upon any of those things. But I have faith in Jesus Christ. I have faith in the goodness of God. I have faith in the word of God. And because of that rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Because of that rock, then we can live life. Again, it's a bit like um, Finley. How can you bring a child into the world? I mean, John here, you know, I mean, I've known John for years. And he, he said, you know, it's really scary, the thought of him being a dad. And I agree completely. Uh, Sonia, on the other hand, I can understand being a, no. <laughs> but it is, I mean, you, you become a parent. It's the most scary thing. This little bundle of life, it's your responsibility. I mean, I'm not saying this about John, but some of us could hardly get up in the morning. You know, our, we, the biggest responsibility we had was making sure the PlayStation was on so we could play World of Warcraft or whatever. And all of a sudden, we get this responsibility of another human being life. And we look at the world and you just despair in so many ways. How could you possibly bring a child into this world and with all the things that are going on and so on? And people, you can get really paranoid about it. You do it by faith. We are going to baptize Finley, and I know um, we're an eclectic church, and I know that there are people here who don't agree with infant baptism. Well, just spend a few hours with me, and I'll teach you the way of God more perfectly. No. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, that, please forgive me for that. But um, that's not really, look, to be honest, that's not really the issue. 
Um, if you're a Baptist, then <coughs> just consider this as an, as an infant dedication. Um, as we infant Baptists often consider entrance to communion as a kind of uh, dry baptism sometimes. But what we're doing is simply this. We're saying that Finley is a child of the covenant. He's a child of the promise. The promise is for you and for your children. We're saying children are a blessing from God. We're saying that Finley is not an accident. We celebrate that and we entrust him to the Lord. And I'm sorry, but I do not buy into the statement that is so often made where it says God has no grandchildren. Listen, God loves John and Sonia. And God brought them together. And one of the reasons he brought them together was for Finley. And I believe absolutely that Finley is a child of the covenant. There's a tremendous promise in there. And I ask that just in general of all of us. Where is your faith? Are you sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see? If you are a Christian, do you see the paradox of your life? That you demonstrate what is invisible. Eternal life is promised to us, the dead. We are declared to be just, but sin is within us. We hear that we are blessed, but we have lots of miseries. We are promised an abundance of good things, but we are often hungry. Faith sees beyond that. Some of you will be in church this morning and you're saying, I've had a rotten week. And it's just, I feel so miserable about everything. You still worship God because faith sees beyond your misery and your circumstances to the promises and the glory of God. May God grant that that would be true of every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word to us and help us to apply it and to appreciate it. Help us to be those who walk by faith, certain of what we do not see, sure of your promises and your love. In your name we ask it. Amen.